Welcome back to Map the Maze. So this is the last episode in this series of demystifying uh, elements of mediation. And today I wanted to talk about how do you get that final agreement? How do you get it done? What are the steps that happen in the mediation process? So let's imagine you have worked through the negotiation dance. You've done the steps. You didn't skip any. You've now got what you and the other person both believe is a final agreement. What happens next? So there are different processes in different countries, but from I can speak from my practice, which is after that final session where both parties say, yes, this is, this is what we think the agreement is, I will then draft a mediation agreement. For the jurisdiction that I am in, that agreement is private from the court so that whilst the agreement is in draft, it cannot be shown to a judge, it cannot be referred to in court. Once the agreement is final and signed, it can be shown. It then becomes an open document. So in my jurisdiction, we call that a without prejudice document, meaning it cannot be shown to the judge. But obviously, there are many different jurisdictions around the world, and it is good, if this is something that you're concerned about, to check in your jurisdiction with a lawyer, what are the rules around a draft mediated agreement? What is the status of that document? Who can it be shown to if you've got concerns around confidentiality or who can see it? So the good news is we get to the end of the session, parties leave. I will then draft a mediation agreement. One of the things I think that's interesting about mediation agreements as compared to maybe documents that are prepared by solicitors or are prepared for filing in court is that it's designed to be more party-centric. So it will probably still feel as if the language is more formal than the language the parties have used to discuss their arrangements, but it's intended to be accessible. It's intended to be in a language that the parties can understand, that they can consider, that they can make sure is clear around obligations, around actions, around what will happen. So the mediation agreement is intended to be read by the lawyers, maybe the judge at the end of the day, but primarily it is for the party's benefit. So as a solicitor, I know when I'm drafting, there are things that I might express in one way if this was really going to be purely a technical document for lawyers to read, but that I will definitely express in a different way if I'm writing a mediation agreement that is for a family to use to guide their future steps as to what their roadmap looks like to move forward. So wording really important. It can be really helpful to have a draft. So sometimes we'll get to the end of a mediation session and maybe we're 70% of the way there, but we've got a 30% that still needs to be agreed. That's a significant amount. I'm certainly not minimizing that. However, it can be really helpful for parties to have a final document because it then A, helps identify where are the gaps, 
But it also, I think, is encouraging for people to see, you know what, we've actually made progress. These are the things that we've been able to do so far. So I think that draft agreement can be extremely important. And definitely that's a conversation that as a mediator I would have with the parties based on where we get to at the end of the session. Do you want me to do a summary, which will just be kind of bullet points and items that you've agreed, or do you want me to actually start putting an agreement together, which is a document that you could then sign? I think what's really helpful to understand is it's a draft and that um, until it's signed by both parties, A, it's not enforced, B, it's not kind of binding, and C, people might come back with comments. So it's not unusual that having had an opportunity to read a draft agreement, that people do come back with comments. And it can be for a whole host of reasons. Sometimes it's because they weren't entirely clear during the negotiation what some of the arrangements might mean. And once they're reduced to writing, it can really help to clarify what is it that this will actually mean. It can be that they've had some processing time that actually on reflection, they now realize they're not going to be able to meet those obligations. So rather than derail the whole agreement, they want to make sure that the agreement is correct. And I've definitely had a couple of parties who said, I know it would be easy for me to say, sure, I'll do that. I'll comply with this behavior um, in the children's arrangements. But the reality is, I know I won't do it. So I don't want to sign that. And that's, I think, a very brave thing for people to to say. Um, that it can be really difficult to say to the other person, yeah, I could easily sign it, but I'm not going to do it. Um, or I'm not going to do it in this way. Or I can't do it in this timeline. I think that's a really um, a brave thing to say, but a really important thing to say. That from my perspective, I don't want to put in place arrangements between parties that are going to be breached, that aren't going to work, that don't reflect reality. So if somebody says, look, I'm really not going to be able to agree to, for example, this communication structure, then that needs to be raised. I would much rather it was raised and discussed as opposed to someone thinking, oh, I'll just say yes, but I'm never going to do it in real life. But it can be hard. So definitely once there's a draft, getting a whole series of comments from one party can make the other person feel like this is not going to happen. Um, from my perspective, it is a normal part of the process, that it is different to talk about arrangements and then to see them in writing, that it can make things easier for people to understand what it would look like in real life. But I accept it can be very frustrating if you feel that everything was agreed and now changes are being made. What I would say is until those agreements are final and signed, they're not in place. So I sometimes have people who say, but they're not abiding by the agreement we made. And the reality is it's in draft that until it's signed, it's not enforceable or binding on either of you. Um, and so important to kind of realize that until it's final, it is only a draft agreement. I think the other thing that I sometimes see is also people have maybe worked through the mediation relatively independently from their legal team. And that once there is a draft document, that's often, for some people, the first significant point of contact that they have with the other, with their legal team. And 
there can definitely be some input from their lawyers. You know, you don't need to agree to that. If we go to court, I can get you a better deal. Um, This is sort of not what I would advise you to do. And some of that might be extremely helpful and relevant for the party. What I would say is that I also see parties who just say, you know what, that's legal advice, I understand. But A, there are no guarantees if we go to court. And B, I want to get this done, that I have different priorities to maybe um, minimizing what I have to pay to the other party. Um, I don't want to drag this out. I have my life to get on with. I've got a new family on the way. You know, people have a lot of different reasons for agreeing to arrangements and they may or may not accord exactly with the legal advice that they're getting. What I think is important is for people to get that legal advice that definitely in a lot of jurisdictions, what the range of legal outcomes could be is not intuitive. It's not based on common sense. In some common law jurisdictions, it's based on precedent and that doesn't always equate with common sense. And so understanding what your legal rights are, being informed about what the legal consequences are is really important. And as a mediator, I'm not able to give that advice. So from my perspective, it's truly beneficial for people to work with lawyers to get that advice. But it's also true that people can make decisions that don't accord with their legal advice. And I've worked with a lot of clients who have done that, who have said, yes, my lawyer said this, but you know what? I have to get this done for my mental health, for my sanity, for my children to take them out of conflict. Uh, It is worth it. There are higher goals that I have that signing this agreement and getting this process ended will help me achieve. So it's really, from my perspective, interesting sometimes to work with people who feel that they have priorities and goals which will be achieved through the agreement and it doesn't necessarily matter what the agreement says. It's kind of an interesting and I guess unexpected reality for some. I think it's also helpful just to remember that the draft agreement is part of the process. So it's not an end in itself, it is part of the process that this will get you to the next stage. Uh, In some jurisdictions, the jurisdiction I work in primarily, which is Hong Kong, that mediation agreement will then eventually be turned into a consent order from the court that it's necessary to have a judge review it, although given it's a consent agreement, it's very unlikely they're going to um, disturb it, but that it is also part of our process that the judge has the final discretion over what orders are made. But for family matters, we need to have a court order. It's not the same in all jurisdictions. For example, in Australia, you can have a parenting plan that the parents write up. It doesn't need to have the blessing of a judge. So really important that you check what is necessary in your jurisdiction. And I guess just as an overall, why is the final agreement so important? For mediators, one of the goals that we have is to create what's called a durable solution. And that means a solution that will endure, i.e. that the parties aren't going to sign this and then a week later regret what they've done and try and either undermine it by not complying with the obligations they've signed up to or 
try and tear it up, that they never, ever accept that they signed this document. So from my perspective, a good mediation agreement is an agreement that the parties maybe didn't get everything that they wanted, doesn't reflect all of their preferences, but their priorities were met. Enough of what they needed is contained in that agreement to make it worthwhile to stick to it. Because definitely one thing that mediators do not want to do is create more opportunities for conflict. That what we're trying to do is help parties minimize conflict, minimize the problems going forward, which is why we're often building in a lot of contingencies into agreements. But we want to put people on a path where they're out of conflict. And so a durable solution is a good goal for mediators. It's not about one party getting an asset or another party getting more rights. It's really that both parties feel resolved around the arrangements they've made and can live them. Because it's also true that the mediation agreement is not the end of the road. Even if you don't have to have a court uh, review it and receive a court order, that agreement still has to be lived, whether it's how you'll make arrangements for the children and communicate around their needs, whether it's making payments to the other party, you're going to have to live that agreement. And so really important that people have time to consider the wording, to process it, to get the advice that they need in order to be able to sign that document and feel resolved around it. I think what's interesting is that sometimes there can be an ambivalence around signing that final document. And I've definitely seen that with some clients that everything is negotiated, their priority needs are met. Yes, they've had to make concessions, but they also have significant gains. And yet, when that final document is printed, they pull back from signing. And I think a lot of that has to do with ambivalence, ambivalence around what does this document represent. And definitely, I have had parties come to the office to sign their final agreement. And there's been tears that actually this is not just an agreement around their finances or around their children's arrangements, but this is really the sign that they're relationship, that their marriage is over. And for a lot of people, that's a, a really emotional moment that they need some respect for the feelings that they're processing. I think that can be definitely a factor that people just, the enormity of what signing this mediation agreement means can hit people. And I think it can kind of take some people by surprise I have to say that for other people, it can be a moment of intense relief that I remember working with one couple and um, the husband came in to sign his agreement and he ran his own business and he just said, this is amazing. I can feel the weight just being lifted off me that I can now focus on my business and focus on my life because this isn't hanging over my head. So... I think it's interesting to see when people get to that moment, which is definitely the end goal of any mediation that you can get to a, an agreement that everyone can sign. There's still a lot of ambivalence that a lot of people feel very different emotions around getting there. It can be really helpful at that last moment if people are worried about signing up to something just to go back. This is what you were able to gain through this agreement. This is the priority goal that you set that will be achieved through this agreement. This is the risk analysis 
that you did in order to make these decisions, to make these concessions, that when you looked at the consequences of not getting this agreement in place or of not making this concession, your decision was this agreement is better than the alternative. And I think helping people remember those factors can really help at the end, at that very end point when people are hesitating or are worried. I mean, this is momentous. This is people's lives. This is people's finances. And importantly, for people that have children, this is their children's lives. So it's understandable that people feel nervous about committing, but it can be really helpful to remind people, okay, so these were the priorities that you set. This is what you've achieved. This is what it would look like if we don't get this done. And that can just help, I think, soothe uh, some anxiety for people. The other thing that is really helpful is, and I've heard solicitors talk about this a lot, is post-settlement blues. That it is also not unusual that a couple of days after signing a mediation agreement, that people call their solicitors and are really angry. Why did you let me sign this, is what solicitors have told me. Um, people say to them, and I can understand that, that oh, you kind of forget. You forget, this was my goal. This is what I achieved. This is what it would have meant if we hadn't got this done. Um, and so, yeah, it's also for the solicitors to help manage people's expectations. So often, if people come to my office and sign, I will just normalize it for them. I'll say, look, in a couple of days, you may wake up in the middle of the night and think, what have I done? But just remember, what was my goal? What needs did I have that were met? What were my gains? What's my risk analysis? Just going, having that information available, going through it can again help address any of those concerns. So from my perspective, that is a happy moment when people can sign their agreement because it's the concrete representation of the work they have done together to achieve that agreement. I think really important that at least when I was trained as a mediator, the people that have trained me have been very clear, that is not my achievement. And I sometimes hear mediators talking about their successes from my perspective, that's not an appropriate description of what's happening. That if you can produce, provide people with a good process, that's great. That's your job done and you've done a good job. But if people can reach a settlement, if people can reach resolution, that is their achievement because they are the ones that will have to live that agreement. They are the ones that will have to make that document work. They will have to live by those obligations. And so from my perspective, settlements, mediation agreements are not the success of the mediator. That's a success for the parties. That is a, a positive thing they have been able to achieve. So I think really important to for people to know that if you have been able to put in place a mediation agreement for your arrangements, that is a real achievement that you have been able to focus on your goals, focus on meeting enough of the needs of the other person to get this done and hopefully taken both yourself, your family out of conflict. So on that happy note, <laughs> let me end today. Thanks for joining. Take care and I'll speak to you next episode. Welcome 
to map the maze. I wanted to share the ideas and thoughts in the podcast that you're about to listen to with a wider audience. But please know that nothing in this podcast is intended to be legal, financial or mental health advice. It is really important that you seek independent professional advice to help you with your situation and your circumstances. Knowledge is power. So let's get to it. Thank you.